Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. I'm ready if you are, Mr. Lilacs. This is always a nice break. Well, just let me dump the raw code into HTML. So it's HTML5 compliant. And here we go. Coming down in three... Let me find my script. Two, one. Activate program. I understand what it takes to to make a bright and prosperous future for America again. I I spent my life in the private sector, not in government. You do your work, and we will do our best. (laughs) Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It's the Ricochet Podcast with Peter Robinson and Rob Long. I'm James Lilix. Guests today include Heather Higgins from MyCancellation.com and Ovik Roy, Mitt Romney's former healthcare policy advisor. Hey, if you like your podcast, you can keep it. <laughs> it never gets old. So let's have ourselves a podcast. Yes, this is the Ricochet Podcast, number 189. It's brought to you by Encounter Books. And our pick this week is a broadside, How Medicaid Fails the Poor by Ovik Roy. And by some strange odd coincidence, we'll be talking about this later with uh, the author himself when he joins us in the second half of today's program. If you go to EncounterBooks.com and use the coupon code Ricochet, not the coupon co-ed, that's a whole different style. <laughs> yeah. Ricochet, you'll get 15% off the list price of this or any other book. And Rob Long, yes. I has something has something to tell you and you're I going do. to sit through it, and you're going to like it because, like it or not. Uh, you know, this isn't behind the paywall. This is out in front, and yeah. things like this need to be said. Rob, put that it through phrase. good and hard. First of all, I hate that phrase, paywall. It's just, just, just very unflat, unfriendly. Un, uh, um, I would like to say, if you're listening to this uh, podcast and you are a member of Ricochet, we thank you, and we are pleased and proud to have you as a fellow member of Ricochet.com. If you are listening to this podcast and you are not a member of Ricochet, um. I'm I'm here to tell you you, you have to join. Uh, look, I know you don't have to. I know there's nobody in your house saying please uh, join Ricochet.com, but I'm telling you, I'm asking you, I maybe even at some point will be begging you to please uh, join. Go to Ricochet.com and join Ricochet. You get access to all of our podcasts. You get access to our fantastic uh, member feed. You get to like uh, join in the conversation. Uh, the best fast the best. Fastest growing, wittiest, most civil conversation among and between contributors and members on the center right on the web. Uh, and there's lots going on in the world. There's lots going on in the country. And um, Ricochet has an influence and people read the member feed. And it's really worth being part of that 
larger chorus of voices. So that's right. It's the best. Join. Best, most as clean as growing as thing, and you're going to want to be there because it has. Well, it's got people like Rob Long, and it's got people like Peter Robinson. Peter, hello. How are you? Let's do that few little minutes of a domestic little chatter that drives half the audience absolutely crazy. <laughs> Give us something small, uh, peculiar to your life that has nothing to do with politics. Small and peculiar to my life. <laughs> Yes, I will. T- <clears throat> uh, uh, son number three is doing well in football this season. He brought home a pair of Sperry Topsiders, which is, believe me, uncharacteristic for this family. And they were ratty and tatty and falling apart, but he loved them. Son, where did you get those? I said. And uh, it turns out they were hand-me-downs from a fellow football player of his. And so I, slightly embarrassed that he'd nicked a pair from a football player, I guess he Football player didn't want them anymore. And also, to, so I bought him a pair of Sperry Topsiders on Zappos, which is very 21st century of me, don't you think? Yeah, it is. Very much so. I I'm, think that one drove the entire audience crazy. Back to yes. you, James. Uh, just get to the issues. Get to the issues, man. The public is draining down the gutter as we stand here and we're talking about this. I mean, look, Chris Christie has declared himself to be a moderate. McAuliffe gets the governorship of, of Virginia thanks to the locust-like horde of parasites known as the federal workers in the northern part of the state. The Tea Party's over, man. Barack's got his mojo back. Isn't that how this is probably going to be spun? Well, is that how it's being spun, really? Because yeah. it was well, awfully... I haven't looked at the paper yeah. today. I'm just guessing that... No, it, I think you're oh, wrong. No. The, New York, the New York Times is jubilant this morning, but they sure shouldn't be. Oh, my McAuliffe's God. ratings... McAuliffe won by a much narrower margin than expected. That has to be because the public was waking up to Obamacare. Furthermore, he only got a plurality of the vote. The right. anti-government, anti-Obama uh, vote, which was divided, unfortunately, between Cuccinelli, the Republican, and the man whose last name I never actually heard pronounced, who was running as a libertarian, was, was more a, than 50%. Who was not a libertarian. It was a no. faux libertarian reality. Yeah. Yeah, faux libertarian. But he took off 7% of the vote. Yeah. It's hard to imagine that more than a percent of that at the most would have gone to McAuliffe if, it, if he hadn't been running. And so the anti – that was a – any careful – professional politician and every single Democrat in the Senate who's up for re-election next year is a careful and professional politician will look at those results and say, absolutely. This this was a a clear referendum on Obamacare. I mean, in in Virginia, in uh, in New Jersey, it was a practical coronation of a very popular, very effective governor. I mean, uh, somebody I admire a lot who who, uh, manages to win, win big in a blue, basically a blue state. Uh, and that makes him very, very interesting for those of us who want to take the White House back uh, in a couple of years. But uh, I would just say about Virginia, what the, the, the two interesting things to think about Virginia are uh, uh, one, uh, one is that the poll numbers leading up to it were spot on for the lieutenant governor's race and spot on for the attorney general's race, but uh, about five points off for the governor's race, which suggests that Cuccinelli was um, – uh, a candidate that people had a hard time, I guess, admitting they liked for some reason. I, I did not follow it as well uh, no. as I should have, but uh, I think he, he got off on the wrong foot when he started off, and 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 uh, and um, he might have turned some voters off there. The second thing I think is interesting about it is how close and how winnable that race was, thanks to late breaking, late moving polls and late moving momentum against Obamacare, against Obama towards the Republican as a protest vote, and. A little more, a few more resources from uh, from you know Republican Central may have made a difference. I mean, you could make a case. I, I, it's hard always to know for crack, but you could make a case that he wasn't. You know, Cuccinelli was kind of written off by the uh, by the RNC in DC early on, and they never quite believed it, he was worth 
uh, spending some extra get out the vote money for. And he might have been. He might have been. I mean, mm-hmm. well, you think that it's true. It's it's true. A bit more money may have helped to get the message out about Terry McAuliffe. I find it interesting that people would regard this as a referendum on Obamacare, not a referendum on Terry McAuliffe, who is a peculiar character with some odd dealings in the back there. But the people mm-hmm. who voted for him don't care about that. They want a caretaker guy who's going to make sure that uh, that birth control isn't outlawed. And if you're a liberal. You're looking at what they said about Gooch and saying, oh, he's, he's, he's one of those crazy religious yeah. maniacs who's going to mm-hmm. shove women back in the kitchen, chain them into a radiator, make them have babies right. which will fall into a saucepan presumably when they're you know, <laughs> giving birth while, while they slave. And if you're, stupid, if you're stupid enough to believe that, then you deserve the government that you're, 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 the, the, that you're going to get. But the fact that it was close and that there, was, there were those libertarians who peeled off, each of whom is individually and specifically responsible for the elevation of, Tor- of Terry McAuliffe, by the way. Uh, if, if you have yeah, an option yeah. in the election who himself is not the embodiment of status confiscation and you decide, I must be pure, I must be pure above all, and, and throw your vote that way instead of electing the guy that will keep the other guy from doing more harm, then, then yes, you – you are to blame. Naders. It's, it's naderism. Exactly. It's exactly what they did with Ralph Nader. I, I, you know, I, I agree. I, I think, I mean, what's interesting about it is that th- those are views in Virginia, which is a very interesting state, which is really a purple state, uh, that are, are, are um, you know, socially conservative views are, are really interesting in Virginia because the northern, I mean, it's all we, people we say, the northern part of Virginia is sort of the great condo reef from D.C. and these are all federal workers and federal governments exploded and they're all very liberal. And then as you move Farther south down the state, you move, you move farther south, you know, even in sensibility. Um, and so the, the, this is a state that has an uneasy relationship with itself, kind of like California in a lot of ways. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, but it's still winnable. That was a very close race. It and, was you a know, close it race. It's still me, winnable. I'm sorry, Rob. Go ahead. I was just going to say it brings me to um, my brilliant plan, which I still want to do, which is the rico- Ricochet Pack, because in a late, a late changing contest – where we have a chance to win with a little bit of more money. Uh, if we had a ricochet pack, which I'm exploring, any lawyers listening, please let me know. Um, if you had a ricochet pack, you could probably make – I don't know if you make a difference, but you could really add something. You could really add something to that race. I mean a little bit of money to Cuccinelli at the end might have helped. Who knows? Who knows? It might have. The, uh, to me, the most disappointing part of the Virginia race was that McAuliffe did not win because he was liberal. It didn't hurt him in the northern suburbs, obviously. But if you look at the map, the detailed county-by-county county map that the New York Times published, I'm sure it will appear other places, what you see is that McAuliffe won in northern Virginia, but he also won in the inner city of Richmond, and he also won in Norfolk and the counties surrounding Norfolk. Now, what's going on in the inner city of Richmond is that it's essentially a large number of people who are on welfare, and what's going on around Norfolk is that it's essentially military and military contractors. And so the coalition that took carried McAuliffe to victory, again, it's only a victory by plurality, not outright majority, but the coalition that carried him to victory was not a liberal coalition. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. was people who wanted to use the government right. to take money from their fellow citizens. Do we have a the, name for that? I don't I mean, know. Yes, but yes, yes. We call it the liberal you, coalition. You, you well, no, I mean, like, I mean, like the military-industrial complex. What is that? Like the the government yeah. something complex? Yeah, it, you're right. It was that people post. who wanted to be left alone to lead their lives versus those who wanted to use the government 
in a very direct way for their own self-interest, to get paid, to get contracts, to get more welfare. And right. how, is this, how is that different from liberalism <laughs> that's been practiced since the late – since the 60s? Well, it, I don't it, get it. It, it, it. The people in Norfolk – the point I'm trying to make is that the people in Norfolk were just voting their pocketbooks. They get paid by the government. They were not voting social issues. The social issue component, I believe, has been overplayed in a campaign. You, there you're right, but you can also that's, make – That's the you, point I'm trying to make. You can also make the point, however, that, that voting your interests, which consists of taking money away from other people by force, is a social matter, is a moral issue. I mean, it's it's, it's common Entirely. sense. It's just, it's, just it's not what's generally understood as right. a social issue. No, but that's because we haven't attached enough morality to the whole concept yet. That's because we <laughs> long ago lost the idea that there is something immoral about uh, you know the leveling egalitarian effect of taxation. Because you know they do it because they're compassionate. When we oppose it, it's because we're selfish. That's one of those moral right. rhetorical battles. What, I wish we'd fought better. But what, what I think was interesting was that that the 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 social issues that you know the old be the old style term social issues were used early on to soften Cuccinelli up. Right. Uh, you know, uh, he used them early on, and and they were very, very effective. I mean, they were very, very effective in, in Northern Virginia sure, for sure. In Northern Virginia, yes. in, in making sure that Cuccinelli's negatives never uh, were 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 uh, robust. Right, I and mean, that's you know everybody does that as, as a candidate. Um, and then they they did kind. Of, what was interesting was they did kind of fade away. The idea of Cuccinelli as kind of a right wing nut um, kind of faded away as he started to lay 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 uh, you know lay some blows there. And I think really at the end of it. It was uh, – I mean McAuliffe was up way too late uh, looking at these returns than he expected to be and, and but that had... anybody expected to be. And I think a lot of that has to do with Obamacare. If you're in the White House right now, you've got to be looking at numbers that are terrifying. Right, right. right. McAuliffe I – mean, quick summary of the campaign. McAuliffe outspent Cuccinelli by at least 60 percent. Right. He dominated the press in the last 10 days of the campaign by having Hillary Clinton – Bill Clinton and then the president himself come in and he got coverage that uh, millions of dollars worth of coverage. Cuccinelli got beat up early for his standing on social issues that drove up his negatives, especially in Northern Virginia. And his negative stayed high among the press to the end of, among the press to the end of the campaign. Furthermore, the Tea Party government shut down in Washington. Cuccinelli's numbers tanked. And even at that, even at outspending Cuccinelli, even at having a sitting and former and possibly future president come into campaign for you, even when running against Cuccinelli, who can be easily caricatured on the social issues because of certain, certain things he said, even at that, McAuliffe did right. not get over 50 percent right. of the vote. And that has to be because of Obamacare. That has well, to be. And we actually have. Well, go ahead. I'm sorry, James. No, I was just going to say one of these days we've got to march, mount some sort of smear campaign on our own early on. <laughs> I mean, Terry, Mc, Terry McAuliffe has been, described as a great, has been described as a great singer. Peter Singer is an ethicist who believes that babies should be aborted up to six months after they've been given birth. Is, is Terry McAuliffe like Peter Singer? Well, here's a picture of Terry McAuliffe sawing a baby in half. Could it happen? It could. Virginia, you make the choice. I mean, be as <laughs> stupid and as obscene as they are. On the other hand, if you're right, Peter, and they are in the White House looking at numbers, Obama's got to be thinking those chances for a third term are rapidly diminishing. Now he's looking at, 20, he's looking at, he's looking at you know, 2014, and he may not be generally acclaimed as the greatest ever, and he may actually have attached to his name one of those mocking statements that was made with his chin out that comes back to haunt him and sting him again and again. If you like your plan, you can keep it. Well, well, you, you can't. 
And as people have noticed on the internet, there's a lot of cancellations going on. And one of the places that you can find those cancellations is the site that assembles them all for all to see. It's not just 5% of the people, maybe millions. And the more the stories get out, the more the outrage builds, which brings us to Heather Higgins. Heather's president and CEO of Independent Women's Voice. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And serves on the boards of the Independence Women's Forum, the Hoover Institute, the Philanthropy Roundtable, and others. Her writings appeared on many places, including the Wall Street Journal, Politico, HuffPo, Town Hall, NRO. And there's everywhere. And everywhere. We welcome Heather to the podcast. Hello. Thank you. Good Heather. Morning. How are you? Good morning. Hi. It's Rob in L.A. How you doing? Hello, darling. How are you? I'm doing very well. Okay, so, okay, we, we got to talk about last night, but I just, before you do, let's just, can, we, can I just get to the, what's the latest on mycancellation.com and the latest on the Twitter account uh, to bring people up to speed? You, you posted on Ricochet. Um, uh, we you had a Twitter account. It's been canceled. A million <laughs> canceled and then reinstated. Yeah, we created a website <laughs> called uh, mycancellation.com, and it has uh, a Twitter uh, account right. that goes with that called at mycancellation. And we did a soft launch on, I think it was Friday, and within just a few hours of our existence, our account was suspended. And we're like, whoa, we didn't right. violate any policies. Uh, so they reinstated it, and bam, on Saturday we got suspended again. And then we launched on Monday, and they suspended it a third time. <laughs> and um, and as best I can tell, there's sort of a concerted effort that periodically happens. If somebody wants to shut down a site, what they do is they lodge right. these faux claims of that it's spam, and it trips the system within Twitter, where if they get a certain number of complaints, the automatic response is, Shut down the account and investigate later. So, so this this is not uh, Twitter. This is somebody uh, a hack, uh, not a hacking, but somebody sort of using the Twitter, playing, right? The game playing the Twitter system. Who who's right. doing that? As best we can know. I mean, I can't prove that. I maybe it is somebody internal to Twitter who hates us, but um, but that is what's been explained to me as the, the way it. People who want to play games with Twitter and control social media will do that sort of game. Well, so who would those people be, saying, Heather? 
<laughs> who I do you think it would be people who don't want people to be too upset about how many people have had their insurance policies canceled? Maybe <laughs> the sorts of people who think that it's just a sliver of the population. Uh, so at any rate, we're now up to, since our launch on Monday, 8,000 Twitter followers and 900 Facebook likes and over 300 letters and photos of people's um, cancellation letters posted on the website. It is amazing to see this. I mean, it, 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 I mean, it, it just you just scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll, and it's just people showing their letters of cancellation. And uh, yeah, and a lot of them have very helpfully because the print gets sort of small. They write on it what the percentage <laughs> increase is, or the fact that they're now going to be getting less care for more money, um, which is always a joy. Well, no, you, um, do, you do things like that. I mean, I, I, just to put in context, I mean, Ricochet members know, uh, if, again, if you're not a Ricochet member, you should join Ricochet and you can actually, you know, uh, one of the people you can have a good conversation with is Heather Higgins. But you, you do, you've done a little of this stuff. I mean, is it, but, but this is the fir- your first big social media. I mean, just to, the background for Heather, uh, um, one, one of Heather's uh, um, political uh, operations is something I'm trying to steal for Ricochet, which is to come in at a late breaking uh, you know, a late moving race when you can really make a difference. Um, and, and you've done that. You've done that in Hawaii. You've done a bunch of other places. And you've really looked at the women's vote. Um, but is this the first time you've kind of pulled the levers of social media this hard? Not entirely. I mean, we run and we still run the repeal pledge, which has over 200,000 um, signers. Um, it's the only repeal pledge that actually has a real pledge attached to it. There are an awful <laughs> lot of them that were floated around as a way of capturing people's email addresses. But they didn't actually do anything. We actually – people can see the real pledge. They can see which senators and congressmen and candidates have signed it. Um, we then will go into elections to let people know. Uh, we've also done races where the Republican Party or others think that it's a lost cause and we don't. Yep. So we went in – our first one was the Scott Brown race in 2010, redefining that as being That's about right. health care. Uh, we did the uh, race in Massachusetts for Barack Obama's – theoretically, a natal seat, um, uh, Hawaii 01 in the special election there and went from the Republican coming in third to coming in first. Uh, we most recently did the Sanford race, the special election in South Carolina, where everybody had given up on him two weeks before and walked away. Um, and we thought it was insane to just give up the seat. You didn't need to give up. And thought it was worth right. doing. So, so we, right. we do participate in elections, but we also do a lot on this other um, – our primary yeah. focus where C4 is issue activity. And so we do an awful lot on the whole we – were, we were the ones saying, no, no, don't say defund. <laughs> defund is not your optimal strategy here. Right. We all right. share the same goals. And this is – if you game it out, this is not a pretty picture. Um, Heather, there are better, smarter ways to do this. Heather Peter yeah. here in Palo Alto. Congratulations hey, on, on those you. victories you just enunciated and on Twitter. Now, listen, how do you answer this? Okay, Heather, have fun making fun of Obamacare now, but within a month it'll be fixed. You're just having fun. You conservatives are just making fun of some ordinary to-be-expected glitches in the system. It'll get fixed in a month, and you'll be sorry because by next spring it'll be working beautifully and it'll help the Democrats in 2014 not harm them. How do you answer that? Uh, I have actually told people on our team that while the website glitches are obviously embarrassing to the administration, they are not where we should be focusing because they will be patched. 
one way or another. Um, but problems will continue, and certainly the problem of uh, canceled insurance. Remember, this is an insurance that got extraordinarily upset and decided that we needed to redo the entire healthcare system in the United States because of people, for example, with pre-existing conditions. Um, and I believe their number at the time that they were floating was 700,000 people. Um, who needed coverage that couldn't get it. Um, we're talking, we're looking at 16 million Americans who are going to have their insurance policies canceled. Uh, and these were policies that people actually liked and felt were providing them the coverage that they wanted. And when they're going on the websites, many of them are discovering that they don't qualify for subsidies. They're going to have to pay a lot more money. There was a devastating editorial in the Wall Street Journal on Monday yeah. uh, by a woman who's got stage four cancer and Obamacare is forcing her to choose either one half of her doctor team or the other half, uh, both of whom are essential to keeping her alive. And uh, there will be more and more horror stories like this where we are ruining people's lives and eventually it will be um, Obama lied and people died, uh, which is going to be the byproduct of where all this comes out. People will not be able to keep the insurance that was paying for the extraordinary level of care that they've been getting, uh, and they will wind up with something substandard. Uh, it's part of why people are not happy about going on the exchanges. Your choices on the exchanges right. are incredibly limited. The quality of hospitals that will agree to be covered by the policies that are on the exchanges are extremely limited. Um, if you were worried about a two-tier healthcare system in the United States, it's going to get worse. Um, concierge medicine is going to go up and the number of doctors who are going to agree to participate in uh, the exchanges is going to go down. So your wait times for care will also go way up. As Could you explain that term, concierge medicine? It's still, to me at least, it's relatively new. If it's new to me, it's new to others as well. It is. It's where you pay a doctor a fixed sum uh, annually, say several thousand dollars, and mm -hmm. that covers all of your visits and all of your care no matter what happens. And so that way the doctor has a steady stream of revenue. He doesn't need to deal with your insurance company and uh, you don't, you know, you just just do it that way. Um, so uh, that's where we are with that. So, but I think, yes, there will be people who benefit mm -hmm. from uh, there being subsidies and who there, so will, there will certainly be stories that the Obama administration talks about. Um, but there will be many more horror stories as well uh, that uh, people will start to realize that this is not the panacea, and mm -hmm. in fact, it has a lot of downside. There's a website we created in 2012, and when people go through it, it's a real eye-opener. It's called healthreformquestions.com. Uh, it basically lets people test their own knowledge of the law and what it does, and it mm. particularly goes to a lot of the presumptions about how caring and compassionate this law is going to be. And in fact, it walks people through what happens to people who have children who need insurance or who, have pre who are young adults who need insurance and what's going to happen to their costs and how many people are, in fact, still not going to be covered. People assume this law is going to cover everyone and don't understand that at least 30 million people will still not be covered. Um, despite the tremendous upheaval and distortions this is going to create and the damage it's going to do to the private insurance market. And as much as we all like to berate insurance companies, um, they're a whole lot better than government being your only alternative. So uh, this right. is part of the problem. And then you're also going to have challenges with data security. And I am waiting. We already have this, right? Uh, no. Oh, no, it's, it's horrible. But you haven't had the abuses of it yet, but this right. is a huge big, you know, target for anyone who wants to steal 
data and information um, and manipulate and misuse it. Um, but the government holds itself to different standards than it would any private company. The mere fact that it, in many places where if you go on the exchanges, it shows you only two ballpark prices, and then when you go in, you discover that your prices are much higher. If you were a private company, the um, FCC would be all over you. For <laughs> That's illegal, yeah. Right, with major search, fines. Exactly. But, you know, it's the government, so we can do all sorts of crappy things to our customers because we're immune from that sort of thing. And they've right. decreed themselves immune from fraud and from all sorts of other allegations that would apply to any private business. Heather, I know Rob has another question or two, but I just want to, one word of admiration from me. You know, one of the things that I just so love about what you're doing is that you are showing that the new communications technology, the web, the, in all of that can work for conservatives too. It's not as if that's all somehow or other inherently favoring the other side. Ricochet's proving that it isn't, and so is Heather Higgins. Hats off to Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, in almost all the stuff that we do electorally, mm -hmm. um, we do it through um, – social media, as well as things like phones and mail. So we're very much focused on targeting particular voters as opposed to doing the big media buys on the air. Um, we think that that's largely a waste of resources um, and have proven time and time again that, in fact, social media is a much smarter targeted voter approaches make right. much more sense. Well, that's that's what the other side does. That's what, hey, so well, Heather, I got I got a question. That and they do turn out better because that's yeah. what a lot of Virginia was about last night. Oh, but that's, Obamacare that's, also, yes, sorry. That was, that's my next. That's my next question. Could we talk a little bit about Virginia last night? Because we before you got on, we were saying that it was it was it was late movie to Cuccinelli. We think that has a lot to do with Obamacare, and uh, maybe a little extra money at the end and get out the vote. Obviously, would have made the difference in a very very tight race. What do you think? Yes. Hugely so. Um, when we did polling over the summer, um, Obamacare was an issue that worked really well with Republicans um, and somewhat with independents. Um, but there was still a lot of ambivalence. People weren't sure what was going to happen. Uh, Cuccinelli lost momentum during the shutdown and lost the capacity to uh, have the conversation focus on what he wanted to focus on because it was all focused on the shutdown. Then when it came back, you finally had, with the website glitches initially, if we want to call them glitches, um, and then more importantly with the cancellations following on, suddenly the conversation became about Obamacare. And Cuccinelli in that period moved from being behind by double digits to being seriously neck and neck. I mean, he lost by, what, under 60,000 votes? The third-party libertarian right. candidate uh, won 100 and nearly 150,000 votes, and it turns out that his largest supporter was an Obama bundler. Uh, right, so, right. You know, all these poor libertarians need to understand, you may have thought that you were voting on principle, but ultimately you were voting for McAuliffe and Obamacare. Um, <laughs> the the, uh, the um, RGA pulled out. Um, the RNC did spend $3 million, but they'd spent $9 million for um, McConnell in, uh, uh, McDonnell in uh, 2009. So to me, it felt a little bit like resources, but when they're down. They do these straight-line extrapolations, and they assume that they're losers, and they walk away right at the time when they need to be doubling down and coming in and pulling it out. And I don't know how to change that temperament, but it is a consistent problem. Heather, Heather what James about... Lally, here, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, James. Uh, James Lovick here in Minneapolis. I know you have to go. 
Um, and everybody's been hitting all the points that I want to hear about. But I have to ask you this. Is there any way that the GOP, the right, the conservatives can find an advocate for our side as unpleasant as Debbie Wasserman Schultz is for theirs? <laughs> because apparently they think that's the key. Can we find someone that grating and appallingly elitist to talk down to everybody as she does? I mean, just. Um. Well, I, I'm not trying to cast aspersions here, but she works for their team. And I would say the greatest um, parallel, perhaps, that we've got, in, and I'm not, I'm not casting aspersions, but it would be a Ted Cruz analogy, in that Ted Cruz works really well for our base, and he grates on a lot of other people. Debbie Wasserman Schultz works really well for her base, and she grates on a lot of other people. Um I'm not sure that. Well, I mean, if the, the goal, her goal is motivating her base, so yeah. they understand that, why they have her in that position. But I'm not sure that that's what we need to advocate for. Yeah, there's so many issues I'm on the fence about. I just have to ask, how would she screech at me if I went the wrong way? Cruz is an interesting example, and Christie came out the other day, and we see a little friction between the two of them there as people jostle around for 2016. Is this good? with the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good for the party. I mean, we, do we want to see this aired out in public, or would we prefer actually that everybody shake hands until the real backstabbing begins in 2015? Um, I am always one for washing laundry quietly behind the scenes and keeping it as out of public limelight as possible. Um, part of our challenge is, is that there are different constituencies and genuinely differently held beliefs about what it takes to win. Um, you also have uh, different interests. So sometimes if you've got an outside group, their focus is on doing whatever works just for their membership base rather than what it takes to necessarily win an election. They may not even view winning the same way as, the, for example, the establishment Republican Party would. Um, so these things have to be thrashed out and one or the other is going to eventually come to the top or somebody's going to leave the table, um, which would be unfortunate because there's not enough of us to have anybody leave the table. Right. Hey, Heather, uh, one last question. It's Rob again. Um, when you started the repeal pledge, yep. it seemed – That was the summer of 2010. Yeah. 2010. It seems quixotic. It seemed quixotic at the time. I supported it, but I thought ah. – and people like me, little squishy cowards like me, were saying, um, yeah, we're not going to repeal it. We're just going to fix it. We'll just have to fix it. We'll just have to get in there and fix it and slowly move it back or, or add things to it. And people like you were saying, shut up, coward. No, that's not what's going to happen. We have to repeal it. Um, I, <laughs> the question is, how dumb am I? And how big do you think this is going to be? How big is this going to be? In the next two years, how big is it going to be in the midterms? How big is it going to be in the general? If you're a Democrat right now and you're looking at these numbers, you've got – and, and, and there are only two Democrats for which Obamacare really can be uh, wrapped around their necks, and that's Barack Obama who's not running again and Joe Biden who has been – who's disappeared. 
so my double my my double question is one: How big is it going to be? And two: Who are the first, if you had a pick? Who are the the first Democratic senators to start to bail on this? Who are up for reelection? Uh, my recollection, I'm not doing it off the top of my head, so I don't want to name names, but I was given a count the other day that there are now 32 different Democrats who have talked about the need to delay implementation <clears throat> in one form or another. Um, the way you wrap it around their necks is that you say that they're not willing to delay it, they're not willing to repeal it, they're not willing to undo the special congressional exemption. Another website of ours, uh, no Washington exemption for that petition uh, to make sure that um, they don't get the special subsidy for going onto the exchanges that none of these poor people who <laughs> have had their insurance canceled are going to qualify for either. Um, the, uh, or not many of them. The, um, I never would have said shut up to you, Robin. You know that. Perfectly well. uh, you ever, ever, at me. ever. And I, your, art, your eyebrow would have been raised in an arched the, fashion. The eyebrow might have tantamount, have tantamount to well, saying shut up. And there, well, the reason that I, I never felt that fixing worked is the entire underlying architecture of this law is so seriously flawed. The premises which drive it are wrong. Um, it is so counterproductive to genuine reform of the healthcare system that every serious policy analyst who's looked at it says you there just isn't a way to fix it. There's right. so much that's wrong with it. Um, you can do patches that give you the illusion that maybe you can make it less painful for a little longer, but ultimately it does terrible things to medical innovation. It does terrible things to the number of doctors providing care, et cetera. Um, but the, the issue still absolutely wraps around the necks of anybody who won't re remember the house has voted now to have a full year delay on the employer mandate and the individual mandate. Remember Obama in his selective understanding of how laws applies gets to think that he gets to selectively decide what parts we're going to implement and what parts right. we're going to not. And right. who needs Congress and who needs laws? And, right. um, it's his entire approach to governance. It's uh, very um, imperial. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't actually work that way. And you now have a whole bunch of Democrats who have voted against that extension. And you've got a Senate that keeps refusing to take things up. Or when they do have it presented to them, there have been votes taken which work against that. So all those votes are going to play very strongly in 2014 uh, and probably again in 2016. Uh, the things your listeners can do that would be the single most helpful thing to advancing the ball on a delay, because we're not going to get repeal as long as Obama's in the House, but any kind of serious delay, is to demand that there be a vote on the Vitter legisla legislation, that there be no special exemption for Congress. Just as Congress will vote for all sorts of things when they know that their plane is waiting to get them out of town to go home for Christmas vacation, this is that on steroids, because what it does is it says you personally are not only going onto the exchanges as the law says, but you are not getting a subsidy for doing so. Just like the rest of the American people, you can pay for it. And if you want to keep your old insurance, then you can make that a possibility for the rest of the American people by delaying the mandates, et cetera. Heather, um, Peter here. For, may I ask one last question? Mm -hmm. Rob, Rob, as Rob is, in my hum, humble opinion, over fond of pointing out, for <laughs> 70 years now, our side has been pretty steadily losing ground. Uh, pause during the Reagan years and then one counter victory when Gingrich was speaker, that is the welfare reform. But overall, if you look at the last 70 years of domestic policy in this country, 
it is the expansion of the welfare state. Obamacare has now been enacted. It is being rolled out. Some people will benefit from the subsidies. The interest groups are being built up to support it. And although it looked as though Republicans may have had a wonderful opportunity to unite against Obamacare, Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, brilliant men, though they may be, patriots, suddenly the Republican Party looks as though it's a mess. Is Heather Higgins optimistic looking toward 2014? Um, I feel that my role in life is to be on this earth to counterbalance Rob's perpetual pessimism. Um, <laughs> Beautiful. Good work. So, so, All right. So even I though I have down, moments then. of darkness, I am going to um, maintain my optimism that we can um, restore this. It's, you know, if we were to have more time and have a longer conversation, I would say if you, the welfare example is extraordinarily instructive, as is Reagan. Most of the time, on the right, people are so upset about the freedoms that they are losing that the tone they take is uh, negative and the tone they take is hurt and they focus uh, very often on the costs involved of these things. When Reagan was running, he didn't self-reference as a conservative. He talked about all of America. He talked about the promise of America. And when he was, when we were looking at welfare reform in the 90s, we had been pushing for welfare reform for 15 years with no success until we finally got smarter, made a coalition with Democrats, and started talking about what was good for poor people and how welfare was hurting them and taking on a positive approach. Um, and that's what we need to do as a party, which is be for what is good for the whole country, not always talking first and foremost about what things cost, uh, and maintaining that vision of what the promise of America is, which we have sadly done a very poor job of. I, I, I'm sold. Okay, thank you. Peter, the thing about you is you won't stay sold, Rob, <laughs> which means we have to have Heather back again and again. <laughs> I'm delighted any time. Heather, thank you for everything you're doing. I hope to see you soon. And um, uh, have to get to New York. I will do that. The lucky members of Ricochet, uh, um, we are part, and some we saw had a front row seated. All this stuff, including at so it's at my cancellation. Follow uh, it on Twitter. That's the Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. At my cancellation is Twitter, and mycancellation.com is the Tumblr type website. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, hey, thanks. Hey, thanks, Heather. All right. Take care. See you soon. Um, does anybody know where uh, Joe Biden has been? He, we, we were pretty sure he's running for president. The, of the two people we know were pretty sure running for president on the Democratic side, Hillary Clinton, who this is, does not touch her necessarily. Joe Biden does touch her. I think we're going to look at Joe Biden running away, and we're going to see some key, some key Democratic senators running away. When that happens, the bottom falls out of this, doesn't it? I mean, how, how does it not? Well, Peter. 
No, it was not a rhetorical question. I want an answer. <laughs> no, what, what threw me, what threw me, what's still throwing me, what's giving me a temporary brain freeze is that was actually kind of an optimistic framing of the question, Rob. Heather really did turn you around. <laughs> well, just for a second. It's the Heather glow. But, but, but it does seem to me like just politically, looking at the political landscape, that's what we've got to be looking for, right? It's we've got to be looking for signs of weakness on the other side, and these are going to be senators up for reelection. That's where you'll see it, it first. And that's, that's where you're going to see it. And there's the people who are going to pay the price. Barack Obama's not going to pay the price. I will go out on record and say that the, the, the Barack Obama administration, the era of Barack Obama ended on the day that Obamacare launched. Mm. Because he's got no more leverage, right? He's only a liability. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're uh, Terry McAuliffe, aren't you thinking to yourself, man, I wish I hadn't done those appearances with Barack Obama, the president. I should have done them with Bill Clinton. There was I a would point have been There was a, a poster ricochet. I forget. It may have been Troy. It says that a presidency is over the moment that his signature phrase becomes a matter of mockery. When you can attach to him some little rhetorical flourish, I'm not a crook or no to read my lips, no new taxes. And in this case, it's the butte. You, if you like your plan, you can keep it, period. Right. That cannot right. be edited, erased, explained as much as they try. And you're right, Rob. We have to look for the disarray and find a way to exploit it. Uh, Joe yeah. Biden is probably out there right now washing the feet of the poor so he can show them exactly that he cares. <laughs> yeah. and, that, and that shows that he's a compassionate man. But what the GOP needs to do is not always be the party that says, no, this doesn't work, this doesn't work, but we have to come up with our own ways of getting the point across that, yes, we do indeed care, right? That's that the compassion gap. We have to point out that this is not about an anarchic society where there is no government and libertarians and Randian freaks run wild destroying civil structure, but that actually what we're about is taking those things that government can do well and manage them. I mean, I know people hate to say this because it's accepting the parameters of the, of the welfare state, but this is the thing in which we live. This is the world that we have to accept and then change. There are people out there who say, you know, your alternatives are just to let everybody die. That's the way they phrase the argument every time. The Republicans stand in the way of health care. Not affordable insurance, but health care, as though we're standing in front of the emergency rooms looking at people with batons in our hand and whipping them out if they come in with a broken arm and we say, you look poor. We have to explain how government fails the very people it's supposed to protect. How Medicaid, for example, fails the poor. And Ovik Roy has written a broadside about this that you need to go get. It's at, it's at EncounterBooks.com. He explains how people on Medicaid have far worse outcomes than those with private insurance. Yes, I'm reading the copy. And how no better outcomes than those with no insurance at all. He explains why this is and how Obamacare doubles down on the broken Medicare system. And, he, of course, he's, he's one of the best voices on healthcare right now. And lucky us, we welcome him to the Ricochet Podcast. Hello. Hey, guys. How are you? We're just grand. I've, you know, I forgot to say all the other things. You're a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, and in 2012, you were the health care policy advisor to Mitt Romney, which makes people scratch their head and say, wait a minute, what, what, exact, hmm, what, was, Mitt's, uh, what was his health care policy, and uh, didn't he sort of lose the argument when everybody said that Romney care was just like O-care? Well, he, he did at the time, but I don't think he's losing that argument today. I think, uh, you know, I wrote a piece for uh, National Review a couple months back called Romney's Revenge, and it was all about this point. 
that state-based reform is very different from federal-based reform. And both conservatives and liberals didn't give him much, uh, uh, didn't tolerate that much, didn't take it seriously. But I think we're seeing that. We're seeing these effects of Obamacare on premiums across the country. And uh, and that's uh, and and we're seeing that in the states like Massachusetts, the law isn't really having as much of an impact. But in less regulated states, it's having a huge impact. Ovik, Peter Robinson here. How are you? I'm fine. So, How are you, Peter? So I'm well. So Paul Krugman has been arguing again and again in the New York Times that all these glitches in the healthcare website rollout are just that glitches, <clears throat> and he adduces as proof that it can be done and be done smoothly various state exchanges. So that comparison is just false? Well, you know, Paul Krugman uh, is many things, but uh, his columns on healthcare are always head scratchers, and this is a, is a great example. Of it. <laughs> that is the most diplomatic way to put that. <laughs> well, this is this is a very high-toned podcast, so I felt <laughs> yeah, I like guess. I should be elegant and diplomatic. <laughs> um, you, uh, wow. What, what podcast do you think you're on? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so this talking point has been around for a long time, this idea that uh, that – well, if everyone just implemented the law like good foot soldiers of Obamacare and we had all these state exchanges, then everything would have been fine. And that's not true. So if you talk to the directors of these state exchanges, so I've spent some time with a Kevin Cunahan, for example, who's a director of the Connecticut Exchange, a blue state that, that set up its own exchange, tried to do everything that Obamacare told them to do. And he said openly to the press on the record, I wish I had one more year because they had to wait so long to get the regulations from HHS as to how to redesign everything. And at a certain point, they just threw up their hands and said, we're just going to do whatever we want. Screw you. Uh, you know, I'm bringing down the tone. There, there goes the high now. tone podcast. Yeah. Right. So, so that, so that, <laughs> that, you know, there's been, there's been a lot of these problems and, and uh, I think there's been this kind of delusional uh, explanation that, well, if, if only Republicans implemented the law, then everything would go fine. I think, I think most serious people dismiss that argument, but it, but it has a fair amount of power. All right. So the next question then would be, it's a mess, but you just suggested that the fellow who's running the exchange in where? In New Jersey, did you say? Connecticut. 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 He said if he'd had another year, the implication is if he'd had one more year, he could sort it out. So the administration is now saying they'll get the website substantially fixed by the holidays, by the end of this year, by next spring. Everything will be humming along. And it sounds as though the fellow you spoke to in Connecticut says, in principle, that's possible. In principle, it can be fixed. Is that so? Yeah, I think I think it is so that in principle, in theory, uh, it is possible to set up a website where people shop for health insurance plans. The private sector seems to manage to do this just fine. Just go to ehealthinsurance.com and you'll you'll see a, a, a private website that does just this. And uh, but but the thing about this federal website, it, it's it's one of these situations. Where a lot of the Obamacare headlines. Uh, there's been more noise than more heat than light, you know. So the headline sensationalizes something that's a fairly technical problem, where maybe the disruptions are are important but sort of minor. Uh, this is an example where I think the opposite is true. So I think there's this conventional wisdom out there that well, these website issues are just glitches. They should be able to fix them by the end of the month. That's what the the government is now promising. But the more you dig into this, and the, and the reporters at places like the Washington Post and uh, the Wall Street Journal and some of the tech and software blogs out there that you read on this stuff at places like Reddit, 
the problems are so deep and so profound at every level of how this website needs to operate. I'm not confident that they're going to be able to fix this in a month. I think they might be able to fix the, the interface, the, the front end, but I'm not so sure they'll be able to fix the, uh, the back end so quickly. That's probably true for all of us. Uh, so um, now you, uh, we should say before, uh, you know, as they say, we, we should say before we go uh, farther that, that you do a great podcast for Ricochet.com, American Wonk. Um, and so, and you've like, you've done a deep dive into this. Now, I mean, if, if we could just take a little, put on your, your, your pundit hat for a minute, how much of a liability, I mean, I keep asking this to Heather Higgins, I'm asking you, how much of a slow, um, disaster is this going to be for yeah. advocates i mean i mean peter sort of touched on that as the website gets better all that stuff gets better assuming it does get better i mean is this uh, a year from now are we going to be looking back on this and thinking oh you know we made such a big deal about this one thing and and the truth is that the people who have obamacare are now happy with it i mean how how rough is this going to get I hate to give you a really boring answer, but I think the truth is in the middle. So I don't think it, this this website is going to be a smashing success, but I don't think it's going to be it's going to collapse under under its own weight, which is a is a line we hear a lot from from the conservative conservative pundit world. I think it's going to limp along, and what I mean by that is that uh, once, if and when the website gets fixed, uh, and you know you had uh, uh, Max Baucus in the Senate Finance Committee hearing uh, mm-hmm. uh, that's going on as we record this, uh, effectively say, Madam Secretary, tear down this website and 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 rebuild it over time. Once you've got it fixed, they're not going to do that. So that may actually delay the amount of time uh, that it takes to, to rebuild it. But once they do rebuild it, people will sign up. But what's going to happen? With all the hassles and all the problems, the people who are going to sign up are the people who are the most desperate for coverage. So sicker people, older uh-huh. people, and people who, of course, are of low income, so they, they benefit from the subsidies in the law and instead of facing the, the huge rate hikes uh, that a lot of people will face. So what you're going to see most likely, and this is what every insurance executive believes on the record or off, is that you're going to see that the population on the exchange is not going to reflect the actual population of uninsured people. It's right. going to be poor. Poorer, sicker, and older. <laughs> the most, in other words, the most expensive. Yeah, right. And so, and so, the average price uh, per person is going to be high. The cost of these insurance plans will be higher, but less people will enroll. So, from a fiscal standpoint, calculating how that all plays out is complicated because per person it might be more expensive. So, you might worry as a taxpayer, okay, this means that the plans are going to be right. more expensive. But if less people enroll and therefore less people get subsidized coverage, then you know, maybe it's not as bad, right? So you don't know, it's hard to know exactly how all that math will play right. out. But I think we do know this, which is that if you don't qualify for subsidies, or if you're of sort of middle class average income, so maybe you qualify for a small subsidy, but not a very large subsidy, you're likely to pay much more for health insurance tomorrow than you did yesterday. And therefore, health insurance is going to be less affordable than it was yesterday. Mm. I was under the impression that by adding all sorts of mandates and waving the magic federal wand that prices would go down. But listening to Debbie, Debbie Wasserman Schultz the other day, we were talking about before her, her, her charming oratorical skills. Uh, she said that you know the president – we were not misled by the president at all, which is 
new way to pronounce misled, of course, I guess, that actually uh, everyone's going to benefit. And that there's 3 to 5% that are having problems, which is irrelevant if it's an insurance matter. But if we are talking about things like gay marriage, changing everything to accommodate the 3 to 5% is, is you know, the fierce moral, moral issue of our time. But aren't they saying that once this hits the, uh, the, 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 the insurance that everybody gets from their employer – that we're going to see a repeat of this, and that's what's really going to galvanize people to action when the uh, when the folks with the nice cushy jobs and the good plans all of a sudden find that their premiums are going up and their deductibles are going up. Yeah, so one of the the useful uh, aspects of the fact that this law was passed in such a partisan way is that whatever happens to the healthcare system, you know, you broke it, you own it. Uh, they they're going to have to own that. And, and this is you know it, they they had the lie about that if you like your plan, you can keep it. And what they've done what they've done now in the last week or two is they've compounded that lie with a second lie, which is this lie that only five percent of people are affected by Obamacare's disruptions. That's not true. So I wrote a piece uh, for my Forbes blog where I actually cite the administration's own estimates that 93 million people will have their insurance policies disqualified by Obamacare, and they'll have to uh, rotate them out for new Obamacare-compliant plans, which will be more expensive and often have higher deductibles and narrower uh, physician choice. So that's, that's like the next shoe to drop, effectively, that, that you're going you're gonna to see not so much disruption in the sense of people going without coverage in the employer-sponsored market. You know, you're going to see that in the individual market. So I think this, just so your, your uh, listeners understand, it's very important to understand the distinction between the two different private sector insurance markets. The one that 156 million Americans are involved in today is they get coverage through their employer. That's called the employer-sponsored market. That market is relatively heavily regulated today and generally more costly uh, than uh, the other market I'm going to talk about, which is the individual market or the non-group market. So the individual market or the non-group market uh, covers about 26 million people today, 25 million people today, and that is the market for people who shop for coverage on their own, who don't get it through their employer. So that's relatively smaller but Obamacare expands that through these exchanges. So on the exchanges, it's technically an individual market because you're shopping for coverage yourself instead of getting it through your employer. Now, uh, uh, what's going to happen with Obamacare, what, what the administration is arguing, is that all these disruptions, yeah, they're disruptions and that's bad, but it's only affecting these people who shop for coverage on their own. It's not affecting people on Medicare. It's not affecting people who get coverage to their jobs. And that's not true. So the law actually is... Uh, going to dramatically affect people who get coverage to their job, not so much by taking away their coverage. They're going to have coverage, but it's going to take away their old plans and replace them with plans that are costlier. Uh, you know, yes, but aren't we going to be told when this happens that the plans that we had weren't really that good in the first place and that it was the, it was the fault of a predatory, unregulated insurance agency that, had, that somehow had tricked all these people into getting these lousy plans? I mean, that's what we heard for the last iteration of this. That's surely what we're going to hear in the next one, that uh, all of these unregulated vulture insurance agencies gave these people crap coverage and they were too stupid to know it. I, I guarantee that's going to be replaced when, they, when, when it starts to hit the employees. Yeah, you know, the, the president has already uh, uh, rolled out this idea that, well, the, the plans that, uh, that are being uh, – uh, be, that we're now rendering illegal are junk plans, to which I cite uh, Charles Krauthammer and say, don't touch my junk. Bringing down the tone of the podcast a little bit. Well, no, right? exactly. I think it's elevating, in fact, that you were here at the beginning. <clears throat> so, Ovik, Peter here. As best I can tell, 
I'm not sure how to formulate the question, so <clears throat> bear with me a little bit as I fumble around. But as best I can tell, this is one of those situations, as this plan is being rolled out, there's nothing even like a settled status quo or a, what the economists would call an equilibrium in sight. Therefore, the, and, and the, the principal problem we see right now is that young people on whom the insurers need more healthy people to pay for health insurance that they don't strictly need in order to make this work. <clears throat> they need a lot of young people to sign up and young people are not signing up. So for those who support Obamacare, the next step, it's the dynamic, the built-in dynamic of the thing. The next step almost has to be in favor of more government coercion, raise the fine, tighten the mandate, force people into these exchanges in a way that hasn't yet been done. Isn't that right? Uh, that that's right. Uh, actually, I just interviewed uh, a couple weeks ago at the Forbes Healthcare Summit the retired CEO of Aetna, one of the large health insurance companies. His name is Ron Williams, and Ron Williams said just that. Not only do we need to steepen the fines, but we should add other conditions. For example, you're not eligible for student loans unless you uh, buy health insurance. You shouldn't be able to get a driver's license unless you have health insurance. He wants to stiffen it even further. So, and I think the, the insurance industry is going to lobby for that. They're going to lobby for uh, a, a tightening of the mandate if they see uh, these, th that young people don't enroll. They're not going to, what they should do, what I encourage them to do, is to actually say, well, if young people are enrolling, why don't we make the plans more affordable for young people instead of treating young people like, you know, that famous scene in The Matrix where the babies are lined up in these tubes and their, their energy is being sucked out to feed the robots. I mean, that's basically what Obamacare does with young people. It says to young people, we're going to jack up your premiums because we want you to subsidize everybody else's health care. And, and young people need to be more aware of that, that, what's, that that's what's happening, that they're being uh, taken for fools, played for fools. Uh, so my question is, like, do you think that's um, – you are a self-described health care policy wonk. How do you take all of this information and boil it down so that the – I mean this is a cliche, but I think it's, a tr it's, a tr it's true – so that the generation that watches – gets their news from Daily Show understands what you're saying? I mean the, the Matrix image is pretty <laughs> – it's pretty vivid. I mean is it stuff like that or is it is – it, do they need to understand how the, the entire insurance industry works? I mean I, I find myself when I talk to young people saying, well, I mean you watch TV and every third commercial is for some form of insurance. Insurance is actually kind of a good business, um, not health insurance though and why not? And, and that, that seems to get to their, to their – part of their sensibility. But how would you do that? How would you describe that to people who are um, not self-described policy wonks? Yeah, I mean, certainly I think uh, vivid imagery is always uh, useful in trying to explain things to, to people. But, but I think that we don't have to worry too much in this sense, that the people who have to shop for coverage on these exchanges, these young people, they're going to see what the prices are. Uh, there was a survey that the Commonwealth Fund put out, I believe yesterday, the day before. The Commonwealth Fund is a, a liberal uh, think tank that supports Obamacare. They put out a survey of people who uh, signed up for accounts on the website but didn't actually purchase insurance. And they asked those people uh, why it is that you didn't buy insurance. And I believe it was something like 50% uh, or more that the reason they didn't buy insurance is because it was too expensive. And if you ask average Americans of all ages, what's the biggest problem with our healthcare system? 11% say that, it's, uh, that there are too many uninsured people. 74% say it's that health insurance is too expensive. So most people already know 
that health insurance is too expensive. That's why they don't buy it. You know, people have iPhones, right? The, the average cost of a, of a lightly regulated health insurance plan is less than the cost of an iPhone contract, but not anymore, not after Obamacare, where these plans are going to cost $200, $250 a month. And a lot of younger people are going to say, I go to the doctor once a year. Why should I spend $250 a month on health insurance? doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, the good thing is, is that the president, to restore his credibility and luster, is going to roll out a plan to affect those people who don't have smartphones. And if you like your number, you'll be able to keep it. But as, it stands, <laughs> as it stands now, we're going to do something to get those iPhones into people. They'll actually be Samsungs. Well, they'll be, they'll be rockers from Motorola from 1997. But the point is, is that those, those <laughs> wow. people, who don't, people who don't have phones will actually have phones and that uh, the phone that you like will actually be better, even though it'll be more expensive. You, or you, something. Remind, you, remind me of, you remind me of one important point, which is that this whole whole website crash situation has diminished uh, the, Obamacare's credibility in the eyes of young people because the whole idea of not being able to put a website together whether you can, where you can shop for something seems so basic and elemental to the, to the 21st century world right. uh, that, that I think a lot of young people look at this and particularly tech-savvy young people saying, what, the government can't build a website? I, I think this has been a, a sea change moment in terms of before people thought of Obama as the, as, as Recline put it recently, the iPod president the guy who was really hip to all right. these technologies. And that has completely changed now, and that's why you're seeing a lot of the, the coverage on uh, a Comedy Central it has been quite quite uh, tough on, on, oh, that's, on yeah. problems. Oh, that's the absolute beauty of it. All of a sudden, he's grandpa with the blinking 12 <laughs> and the VCR. I love this more than anything else because he came, when he came to office, he was cool and techno-savvy. Wow, he had, a, he had a Blackberry, and he was addicted to it like all the rest of us. And now it turns out that he and Joe Biden goes on television and says, we well, you know the president and me, we're not really geeks. Oh, my gosh. We were supposed to think that Obama himself could have come down to the place where they were coding this thing and said, you know, you got an unexpressed value there on line 2604. And people <laughs> would just marvel. His abilities were just absolutely legendary, like Kim Il-sung hitting a hole in one and then inventing a new polio vaccine. But no, turns out he doesn't. iPod presidency, for heaven's sakes. Show me that this guy has any concept of how to back the thing up, <laughs> let alone turn it on. Uh, Mr. Roy, thank you very much, Ovik. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you down the road, and we encourage everybody to go to EncounterBooks.com and get your new book on how Medicaid ill serves the poor. It's a broadside, but heck, it's a book to us. Thanks, sir. Thank you. Thanks, Ovi. Thanks, Ovi. Thanks, guys. Uh, well, that, that's uh, yeah, the iPod presidency. I love that. <laughs> I love it. I can always tell when 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 something has been brewing in you, James, because like it comes out and it's like suddenly it's like oh yeah they they did call the iPod presidency and then before I could even get mad about it, you're already there. I love it. But it's true. It is infuriating. But there's got to be something delicious about this. You, I mean, just before we go, and I know we're running out, running out of time, but I mean, please, uh, beyond, aren't you enjoying this? This fall up, this Obamacare collapse, it's just such a, it's such a disaster. It's such an embarrassment. It's such a humiliation for the, it's, it, to wipe that smug off their faces. It's just been, oh, it's like been a, like a week at a spa. People say that there's nothing sweeter than the tears of your enemy. <laughs> and while that's true, you know, we, we've had to use those tears as sort of a flavoring and other things because they've been fairly spare and in, yes. in low supply. Now here we are with nice plastic wobbly gallon jugs of the tears of our enemy. Oh, I, I, delicious. You, you, can, you can water your house plants with them. You can, you can pour them in the toilet if you want. Just I, We've got so <laughs> We've got a reservoir. We've got and, a the and the caviling and the, and the need, noodling on the words and the, and the lawyering of all of it is just fantastic. It's fantastic. But, 
the best part has been to hear them explain away that the president didn't say what he actually said. No, he didn't say here that. Are, here are people who are tasked with explaining <laughs> why when somebody said, if you like your policy, you will be able to keep it, period. Say. Now, the use for of the period. word – For a period. Is that, is it, no, no, I'm just saying that that's probably what he's going to say next. No, I said you can keep it for a period, and then that period is that from the time you sign onto the website to the time you click off. That's the period you get to keep it. That's what I would suspect the next lawyering, uh, the definition of is, is will be. Well, they either try to do that or they evade the question entirely and say that what they had before wasn't worth keeping anyway, period. It doesn't work. It's, and Chris Christie, the, when I was listening to Chris Christie talk on the bus or wherever he was the other day, you realized why this guy is a potent political force and why you, you've got to pay a lot of attention to him. Because he's the only guy out there right now on the national stage with the GOP brand who you're actually not fearful of, of that something horrible is going to come out when he opens his mouth. That something it's not going to be stupid or inelegant or clueless. He sounds like a guy plugged in, and he sounds like a guy who who has the confidence that does, that that doesn't outstrip his actual rhetorical abilities. Now, you may hate what he said about Ted Cruz. Fine, we can have the debate when he was talking about how the president sounds like he's he's being a lawyer. You know, and he says, no, "I'm a lawyer." Yeah, yeah. You know, but people, people hate lawyers. Yeah. I, I mean, that's that's exactly right because that's what it sounds like. It sounds like, it, but it's lawyerliness coupled with a sort of eleven-year-old inability to explain away why there's a broken dish at their feet and they didn't do it. I mean, I didn't it's, do it. It, yeah, it's it's just precious. Peter, are you enjoying this as well? Before we conclude, I am loving every moment of it. I'm, 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 <laughs> Uh, although I, I am feeling uncharacteristically, Rob is now so optimistic that I'm starting to feel as though somebody oh, yeah. has to be a little bit pessimistic. I'm just got to get that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it can't go on. It's too good to last. Is sort of my feeling now. Yeah, well, I don't. I just, I feel like it sets us up for a midterm, a one issue midterm, or a very clear midterm fight, which I think is really good. Uh, we we do oh, yeah. well when that happens. We do very very well when that happens. By the uh, way. It terrifies Democratic senators, and that's a good thing. Yeah, the Democratic senators, I think maybe the test, it might be useful to think of it as the test of the two Marks. Mark Begich, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, is senator in Alaska who defeated the then indicted Ted Stevens by only (laughs) one point. And you recall that, in fact, the prosecution, the case against Stevens was so incompetent and also corrupt that it was thrown out, Begich would certainly have lost. He's standing for re-election. Keep in, in Alaska, Sarah Palin State. If that guy doesn't backpedal on Obamacare, he's doomed, and he must know that. And then Mark Pryor, Democrat senator in Arkansas, which hasn't been too kind to Democrats since Bill Clinton was governor, who's running against uh, one of our guys, Cotton, uh, and who's a very impressive member of the House. Those are the two Democratic senators I'd expect to break first. Which means they may already have while we're recording this podcast. That's exactly right. I mean, and look, I mean, getting the Senate back is uh, a huge would be a huge, uh, huge, huge win. It would be a it would be a, really a, a direction changing. It would win. change everything. It would be historic. Really, more so, more really, more so than the White House. More so than the White House, I think. Mm. Well, you're right. And if that happens, you know that the president is going to scowl and think about his historical legacy and what will really, really rankle him is looking forward to the days after he's out of power and thinking, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to get 1.5 million per speech. I might get 1.3.67. This is, this is just <laughs> – yeah, What a disaster. What a disaster that will be. Hey, listen, folks. We did not spend $400, $600 million on the Ricochet point. 2.0, but the beta test is going to be starting up soon and you're going to see exactly what a website – 
lean, efficient, clean, and wonderful uh, can uh, can do for you. And and there's no truth whatsoever to the rumors that the government is attempting to put Google ads on healthcare.gov in order to fund um, you know, healthcare for the poor. But if you do see those little double underlined blue keywords anywhere in healthcare.gov, don't click because they will take you to some other site that has you know that wants to sell you a mortgage. We wouldn't do that to you at Ricochet. Uh, we also want to tell you there's going to be a holiday meetup in December, so stay tuned for that, and you'll find yep. the details, of course, at Ricochet. And we'll see you in the member feed where you know we can discuss exactly how we're going to blow this and then promote the posts <laughs> to the front where people can then say, no, we're going to win this, and this is the beginning of the, of the delegitimization of the welfare state. Well, we can only hope. Uh, we do know that uh, you'll never be able to delegitimize EncounterBooks.com because they are the sponsor of this podcast. And if you go there and enter the coupon code Ricochet, you get 15% off. Peter, Rob, great to talk to you guys again. We'll see you down the road. We'll see everybody else in the comments at Ricochet.com. Fellas, till next week. Next week. He thought he was the king of America Where they put Coca-Cola Join the conversation. She said she was working for the ABC News. It was as much of the alphabetist.